Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. Glad to have you here. Uh, it's a very special episode, as it is every week, but it's an especially very special episode today because we have Greg Weissman here in the studio with us. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you, and we're going to talk a little bit about War of the Spark story because I, uh, I heard you wrote a little novel for, for Magic that's hey, coming out soon. It's... Uh, a wide novel. A yeah. wide novel. Not, not so little. It is It is pretty wide. Uh, so, you know, we, we're going to have Greg here. Uh, the novel, which is War of the Spark Ravnica, uh, comes out April 23rd, and there is a special pre-order campaign currently going on through publisher Del Rey, uh, and we have a graphic for you that we're going to pull up here shortly. Uh, but yeah, April 23rd, and a special pre-order campaign that you can find by going to bit.ly.com slash mtgnovel, and we'll go ahead and pull up that graphic. Uh, yep, War of the Spark Ravnica, available April 23rd, 2019. Pre-order offer available at bit.ly.com slash mtgnovel. What is that pre-order offer, you may ask, as well you should. Uh, basically, if you pre-order the novel, you can go to that link, and you can show your receipt, uh, put in your email, and you will be able to receive a free exclusive art print by Magali Villeneuve, signed by Magali and Greg. Uh, you had, right. I'm sure you had to sign quite a few of those. I did. Yeah. Uh, the, you, 125 a night for a week. 125. So uh, those math, math heads will then be able to figure out exactly how many Greg signed. But that is a whole lot. You are used to signing quite a bit of things, or so I'm. So I understand. Because I have been known to sign stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those that uh, might not necessarily be familiar with your work, you're you're a prolific uh, author. You work, you've worked in animation, you've worked in comics, uh, you've touched pretty much every beloved piece of fiction by people in this building, <laughs> or type of fiction of people in this building. Uh, really, really amazing career. What's that been like for you to touch so many different pieces of, uh, of entertainment like that? Uh, it's, you know, I've been very blessed. Uh, I uh, worked at DC Comics right out, uh, well, during and right out of college, and um, then uh, went to Disney TV Animation, and worked on everything from Aladdin to uh, Bonkers to Goof Troop to DuckTales uh, to finally uh, creating a show of my own, Gargoyles. Um, and uh, since then, I've been all over uh, doing Star Wars Rebels and Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice is the most recent thing I've been doing. Yeah, and uh, I know that there are a lot of fans of Young Justice out there, a lot of fans of all those things that you mentioned. Uh, we are going to be doing some questions and answers with Greg today. So if you, yes, you out there, have questions for Greg we uh, Weissman, please put them in the Twitch chat. We are monitoring them. Thumbs up. Uh, so obviously you've written for a number of different properties and brands. Uh, where do you start when it comes to something like Magic, which has all of this uh, history behind it? I start by reading a lot. I yeah. I mean, just a lot. Uh, I've been working uh, with Del Rey and with Wizards of the Coast and... Uh, and um, it was always like, well, we're going to send you a couple things to read. And then uh, you should probably read this, too. And uh, you should probably read this, too. And pretty soon I've got 2,000 pages worth of material that I'm reading. That <laughs> uh, sounds like a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And uh, all incredibly useful. Um, you know, uh, the work I did on this novel uh, was built on a foundation uh, done by a, a number of incredibly talented people that came before me couldn't have done it without them and couldn't have done it without reading all the stuff that they did. And then I just take lots and lots of notes as I go because I have a memory like a sieve these days. I used to have a phenomenal memory, but I'm old and decrepit now, so <laughs> it, so I don't trust it anymore. And I take notes on uh, little index cards. 
and I uh, uh, both ideas that I have and uh, uh, background, backstory, uh, all these things, every little notion gets on an index card. Then I start moving those cards around uh, pretty much on the floor of my at-home office because for some reason my wife didn't want to wallpaper our entire house with corkboard. I don't what? know why, but what? but she wasn't big on that notion. That seems um, like a weekend DIY project that you yeah, can just yeah, tackle, no. right? Um, <laughs> and uh, from there, uh, it starts to take shape, and uh, I take all those note cards, put them in order, and then write up a document based on those note cards. And from there, it goes out to Del Rey, it goes out to Wizards, and uh, I get feedback from everybody. And then I just started writing. So uh, about how long did it take you to, to sort of to write a novel? How long did it take you to write a novel? I know that's a very, very like broad question, but uh, about how long would you say it takes? Every to... novel I've written has been faster than the novel before it. And I think that's a conspiracy. <laughs> that's a conspiracy? Yeah, like my, uh, my uh, people say, here's your due date. And I'll be like, geez, that sounds really tight. And they're like, well, we have confidence in you. We have faith in you. We believe in you. I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll try. And then I make the date. And then they're, the next time they're like, okay, now it's a, here's your new due date. I'm like, that's even less than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but but we believe in you. We have faith in you. One of these days, it's just going to get shorter enough that I'm not going to make that two dates. <laughs> um, but so far, I've made them each time. So, uh, uh, although always just by the skin of my teeth, so so to speak. So um, it gets very tight. But uh, I think on the last on uh, Ravnica, it was um, about nine months total, including all the reading and all the uh, wow, all the uh, outlining and index cards and then writing the actual book. It, it was about nine months. So I think one of the things that a lot of a lot of fans know you for is the excellent work you do with character. Uh, you do really great character work across all of your all of your uh, work that you've done across different media. Uh, you know, as you developed some of the characters in this novel, got to know some of the characters that were already existing in the magic universe, was there anybody that uh, really surprised you when you when you started writing them? Uh, Liliana really popped for me, I think definitely. Um, she, uh, her dilemma and her mindset was just fascinating to me, and she really popped. Kaya really popped for me. Um, she uh, is put in, she also is put into a very difficult situation and has to decide which way she's going to go and whether she's going to step up or not. Um, and then there are two cr characters that I more or less created. Well, one I did create called Rat, um, who's a new character. But, um, and then there's a new Planeswalker, uh, Teo, that I feel um, I didn't create per se, but I feel like I'm the first person who's sort of had the opportunity to, to bring him to life in fiction. Um, and uh, the relationship between Teo and Rat is very special to me, and, and I just love their interplay. And um, so those are the four that I think really pop for me the most. But the truth is I had a great time writing Gideon. I had a great time writing Jace, um, Dak, uh, you know, Bolas is terrific fun to write. Of course, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, 
this is a big book. There are uh, 12 leads in this book. It's a lot. There are more than 100 named characters in this book, and every one of those characters has at least a moment. A lot of them have a lot more than a moment. Some of them, like I said, are leads in the book. Some of them have significant subplots. Some of them have um, a through line. Some of them only have a moment, but over 100 characters who are named and have moments in the book, that's a lot to, to juggle. Um, that was a lot of index cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think then it's probably fair to say that, uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with the, the old axiom, every character is somebody's favorite. Right. I'm sure that there's something for a little bit of something here for everybody that might be a fan of one of those 100 names that pop up in the book. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we really worked, uh, and I say we because I got so much uh, help from, from Del Rey and from uh, Wizards of the Coast. Um, we really worked to be in continuity, be true to those characters, have their motivations play through from older stories into the story that we were writing now, um, or that I was writing now, and uh, um, and make it the world as real as we possibly could. Let's talk a little bit about the world. Uh, it's set on Ravnica, mm -hmm. obviously a fan favorite plane, a big uh, a plane that we really love here inside the building. We've gone back there three times now. Right. Uh, what uh, what appeals to you about the setting of Ravnica? I mean, how did uh, did the setting sort of help produce any cool character moments over the course of the book? It definitely did. I mean, um, I'm fighting a war there, so I actually don't feel like I went as deep into Ravnica as I might have liked to because I'm dealing with a much bigger problem. I'm mm -hmm. not dealing with the everyday concerns. The stories that Nikki has been writing and post uh, that have been posted recently um, on the site, I adored those stories. Um, just thought they were phenomenal in the depth that they went into uh, on the plane. I didn't have the page space, frankly, for that much depth on it, but what we did try to do is really get into the politics of the 10 guilds. Mm -hmm. um, every one of those 10 guilds is featured in um, the book, um, some more than others without a doubt, but this isn't a case where you're seeing what's going on with three or four guilds and the other six get name dropped and basically they're not in it. Every one of these 10 guilds, we see what's going on in the politics of their um, existence and the interrelationships between these guilds. Um, we, that kind of aspect of it, I did have the time and, and necessity to deal with. Um, so we don't get much into the everyday life of Ravnica because this is a crisis moment. This right. is a war on the planet. But um, we do show, you know, the victims of this war. We show the combatants. We um, and we definitely show the politics of the guilds and how they are dealing with: Are they going to be able to come together to fight Bolas, um, or is Bolas going to be able to tear these guilds apart one by one or collectively? That's really interesting that, uh, that you mentioned this is this is a war. Obviously, the, the name of the book is War of the Spark. The name of the set is called War of the Spark. For those of you sticking around for spoilers, unfortunately, spoilers do not start. Uh, previews do not start until uh, PAX East at the end of the month. You will see some there. Uh, but today, we're just talking about story. Uh, it's a war. Uh, what? How do you uh, how do you determine? What aspects to look like? What makes a great war? I guess great war is kind of a kind of an oxymoron in some ways because you don't really want a war to be great. But 
Well, it's how, big. It's big. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you show the scope of that while also making sure you're concentrating on those little character moments that we know are, are punctured throughout the novel? Well, one thing is the structure of the book. Uh, as I said, we've got uh, eleven or twelve leads in the story, and so we're showing different points of view. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and some of the points of view are from characters who are involved in a big way, leaders of the conflict on one side or the other. And some of the points of view are, may seem like uh, they're more ground level. You know, uh, I don't want to call them minor players because that's not true at all, but they're not, they're not the, the guys in charge, so to speak. Um, they're foot soldiers or they are uh, um, outsiders. Uh, I use that word a lot these days, but um, <laughs> uh, you know they are uh, began on the periphery of the conflict and find themselves drawn into it, and that's one way to deliver scope is to show it on all these different levels. Um, and another way is just to make the stakes high, and the stakes are extremely high. I mean, this is this is a war; it's life and death. Um, you know, it's a cliche, but some will live and some will die, and there are definitely characters that do not survive this book. Oh boy! So uh, did you did you hear that, everybody? Some people are not going to survive this book, which is uh, I'm sure going to be very sad for for some fans of some characters. I I can't imagine it won't be. <laughs> uh, for people that uh, you know are fans of yours, and uh, maybe not necessarily as enfranchised with the story of magic. Uh, what's something that you, what do you think that people who might just be getting into the magic story or want to start with this novel, uh, what's something you think they should know before they pick this up? Well, I worked very hard that they didn't have to know anything. Um, we've got uh, character Teo, who is our point of view character in the sense that um, Teo is a new planeswalker. He had never heard the term planeswalker when the book begins. Mm -hmm. He didn't know he was a planeswalker when the book begins. Um, and when he arrives on Ravnica after his very first planeswalk, um, he is completely at sea. He's never been to Ravnica before, so he doesn't know anything about the guilds, anything about uh, the city, doesn't know anything about the multiverse. He lived on a planet that he thought was the only planet. Um, and he had no clue about any of this stuff. And what that allowed me to do is through Teo's eyes, we were able to introduce these concepts. I think in a way that's a fresh perspective so that um, all the readers who are familiar with magic will engage in looking at it from this fresh perspective. But what it also allowed is that anyone who was new to magic, like I was, frankly, mm -hmm. um, will be able to through Teo, get introduced to all these concepts, introduced to all these characters, and I think learn to love them and and fall in love with them, or learn to hate them, some of them, frankly. Sure. Um, and, uh, and that was a way that allowed, uh, I think, both audiences, the new and, and, and the fans, to, I hope, if I've done my job right, uh, appreciate a story that we're telling. Um, you don't have to have read anything else to enjoy uh, Ravnica, uh, but God knows it helps. Uh, right. You know, the arcs that have come before, 
the recent Dominaria arc, the Ixalan arc, the Amonkhet arc, obviously all this planning that's been done over the last three to five years, all this stuff is coming to a head here, all of it. And so the more of that you've read, the more you're going to appreciate all the nuances of, of, these, of this novel, um, but you don't have to have read that. Anything you need to know will be spelled out for you, but um, obviously you'll, you'll gain a lot more if you've read these stories, and they're all available online. Uh, available at mtgstory.com. Quick plug for our story team, uh, mtgstory.com. Yeah, and, and great free. writers. I mean, just terrific stuff. Nikki Drayden currently doing stories, uh, Day in the Life of the Guilds of Ravnica, as you mentioned. Uh, we've had Martha Wells come on yeah. and do stuff. Uh, just many, many different amazing authors that we've had uh, writing our web fiction. So uh, definitely please check it out so that you can be prepared when the War of the Spark Ravnica novel comes out. Uh, I want On April 23rd. April 23rd. April 23rd. <laughs> April 23rd. And you can pre-order it now. Uh, and for the pre-order offer from Del Rey, please head to bit.ly uh, slash MTG novel, and you can see the cool pre-order campaign that Del Rey has got going there. Uh, I want to take a step back and talk a little bit about Nicol Bolas, the, the giant villain of this. Uh, you've worked on so many different shows that have had so many different uh, comics that have had amazing villains. What do you Thanks. think make Bolas, makes Bolas an amazing villain, not just to write, but to, but to experience? Well, Bolas is exactly the kind of villain that I love. The guy who's got wheels within wheels, that he's got contingencies for every possible outcome. Um, and that's the kind of villain I've been doing since uh, Captain Adam and Gargoyles with characters like Xanatos and stuff like that, But uh, or Vandal Savage on Young Justice. Yeah. But um, the truth is, is that I, I didn't make that up for Bolas. Obviously, Bolas has been around since 1994, and... And he's been doing that uh, through all these other talented people long before I came aboard. But again, once I get here, it's like, okay, this is this is a lot to chew on. Yeah. And I love that. You know, um, he has got wheels within wheels, and then just in case that was enough, he's got wheels within those wheels, and then wheels within those wheels, and uh, he's got the whole situation wired um, to the extent that. Uh, he can predict almost everything that could possibly occur in this scenario. Um, and that makes him virtually unbeatable. Um, it's not just that he's also got tremendous power, personal power, magic. It's that he has been planning for centuries and he's ready. That's and this is something that's been building for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, magic, magic fans, fans of the story. They've they've been waiting for this moment. Uh, did you feel like it was a little bit of pressure to know that you were you were going to be writing the culmination of all of these years of? Uh, I don't know why you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, it was tremendous pressure. Um, I mean, the the good news is is I'm used to that. I mean, uh, I. Uh, produced the first season of Star Wars Rebels, and it was the first new uh, Star Wars material after the Disney company bought Star Wars. And, mm -hmm. and let me tell you, there was a lot of pressure <laughs> in those days. But uh, so I'm used to that kind of thing. Uh, I, I won't say it washes off me, but 
uh, all I can do is sort of uh, jump in, dive in, muck about, and cross my fingers that I'm doing a good enough job that by the time I'm done, the fans like it. Uh, let's let's take a step back really quick to process a little. Uh, you you did a great job talking about your index card method, uh, which I actually think is really cool. That's a cool way to organize your thoughts where you can move them around. Uh, I'm all for the corkboard walls, by the way. I think I think that's something that you should absolutely talk your wife into doing. Well, I'll let you get on the phone with it. <laughs> uh, what are the challenges for you when it comes to specifically writing a novel versus uh, how you approach some of your other work, say animation or comics? Is there a difference? Uh, you know, is there is there a specific way you like to approach novels versus those other types of media? I, you know, my process is really similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, really similar, because it still comes down to a bunch of index cards. When I'm working on a TV series, I usually have an office at Disney or Warner Brothers or whatever, and so there actually are bulletin boards that I can pin the index cards up on, but as opposed to just laying them out on the floor. But otherwise, for the most part, it's the same process. I mean, obviously, the, the main difference is, is that, you know, if I'm doing an episodic TV show, I'm weaving these threads through multiple individual episodes. I've got a, not on this season on Young Justice, but on most of the other shows I've done, I've got to allow for commercial breaks. I've got right. all of these sort of technical things I have to figure out. And on a novel, it's the one long form thing. But even when I'm writing that, you know, I, I may get an idea that doesn't fit in this novel. So I ran note card and thrown in a drawer mm -hmm. um, because you never know when something useful will come up um, down the road. Uh, and then the other aspect of it is there's an, an element of isolation in novel writing that doesn't exist uh, in television is, is very collaborative. Um, uh, but one of the advantages I have is since I'm always working on both simultaneously, doing a TV show while I'm writing a novel, it's a nice break for me. So, you know, uh, doing a TV show, I'll, uh, I'm collaborating with great people who I love to work with. But every once in a while, you know, it's like, okay, we're compromising, um, not negatively, but we're, you know, I may have wanted to go in this direction and my partner may not have wanted to, and so we find a third way that works for both of us. And, the, and it's refreshing sometimes to be on a novel where it's like, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> There's no one to say, you can't do you it. You can't do it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yet the flip side of that is that when you're writing a novel, uh, there's no one else to rely on. That's true. And believe me, when I do my television work, I'm relying on a lot of people, not just the writing, but I'm relying on my composers. I'm relying on, you know, I can write dialogue for a TV show. I like to think my dialogue's pretty good, but what I know is I've got great actors who are going to take even my eh dialogue and make it good. Mm -hmm. um, well, in a novel, it's, I got to make sure that dialogue's good because <laughs> there isn't anyone reading it out loud till you get to the audio book a couple months later or something like that. Um, and there's no composer there to sort of, use the music to guide your emotions and to help you understand how you're feeling. So you've right. got to use words. It's, a, it's almost not that, to be clear, the novel is prose. It's not poetry. But, but there's a poetry to it. You've mm -hmm. got to, in the way that you write, create a rhythm and a feeling to it that's more than just the objective words on the page. 
And again, for me, I love the challenge of doing that, and I hate the challenge of doing that because <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> and, it's both welcome and unwelcome. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a it, it's it's difficult, and you and you want to get it just right, uh, or at least I do, and and. Uh, and uh, I, again, uh, it, it's for other people to judge whether I was successful at it, but I, I hope they know I tried really hard. <laughs> um, and, and I love that aspect of it, but it's also, you know, intimidating. Mm -hmm. uh, so, hey, I, I see a lot of people in Twitch chat uh, asking about the, the pre-order link. I know we linked it in there. For those of you that are just joining us, we're gonna throw up a little graphic about what we're talking about today. And that would be the, uh, Ravnica War of the uh, War of the Spark Ravnica novel available April twenty third, twenty nineteen. You can pre order it now uh, at pretty much everywhere books are sold. Uh, you can check out the pre order offer from the publisher Del Rey at bitly slash mtg novel. That's bitly slash mtg novel. And on top of that, uh, you know, if you pre order the book, you'll be able to participate in this pre order campaign where you have you'll be able to get a free exclusive print. Uh, signed by Greg Wiseman and the artist Magali Villeneuve. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Looking forward to that. Uh, and then uh, to to once again reiterate, this is a stream that's specifically about the War of the Spark novel. We're not going to be talking about anything card-related today. No War of the Spark previews. Those will start at PAX East. Uh, and uh, we won't be talking about the Challenger decks today either. So thank you so much for your passion and for your interest. But uh, for now, we're just going to focus on the book. Greg... Back to you. I gave you a little bit of a break there so that you could you could take a sip of water, collect your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a mid-roll there. Uh, you are a little bit newer to Magic, for sure. Uh, I know that you're familiar with the color pie. Where do you think you personally sit uh, on the color pie? Where, where do you think Where do I want to sit or where do I probably let's, really let's sit? Let's say both. Where do you want to sit and where do you think you actually are? Um, I find Rakdos and the red-black incredibly appealing. Yeah? But I don't think I'm like that at all. <laughs> I think Where do you I'm, think you actually are? I'm probably more blue-white. Really? So you uh, think you're part of the, uh, the, you would identify with the Azorius Guild, or you just think it's you're It's not that I identify with them, but if, I, if someone, if I'm being honest with myself, that's probably where I sit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 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 you know, I, I have uh, love of, efficiency and I have a um, uh, I like things ordered and and I uh, for semi-emotional guy I live a pretty cerebral life mm -hmm. so it feels pretty blue white to me is is the reality of it but God I want to be red <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be red black so why does uh why does Rakdos appeal to you so much then well, I have to say, uh, part of it is is that um, stories I've read with Rakdos just are always so much fun. Yeah, um, really, are a kick. Um, uh, the stories that Nikki did, uh, other stories I can't talk about yet, um, and uh, uh, and even what I when I was writing uh, the parts of the book that were Rakdos focused, um, I really was able to kick loose and, and um, go to town on those. And it just really was fun to write. It was just really fun. And so I find it very appealing, but I don't actually think that I'm like that. <laughs> Not really. Uh, 
Speaking of that, uh, that sort of being able to let loose and, and have a lot of fun writing, was there a character that uh, that you can talk about? Obviously, we want to stay clear of spoilers for, for people that are interested in picking up the book and reading it, but uh, was there a character that was like that for you, uh, similar to how you felt writing Rakdos? Uh, probably the most fun character for me to write in this book was Rat. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that means nothing to your audience because they haven't yet. read the book yet. Yet, doesn't but mean anything yet. I hope yet. that they really like the character uh, by the time they have read the book. Uh, Rat uh, really broke out for me and and uh, I kind of fell in love with her and um, and she seemed like, she was, was a lot of fun to write. Um, but really I had a great time in different ways, writing Vraska, um, writing, uh, I had fun writing Dovin Ban. He's so, <laughs> so arrogant. And, and yet his arrogance comes out of this basic level of competence and efficiency. I think the reason I enjoyed writing Dovin Ban is because if I'm being honest, and I'm not proud of this, oh, no. <laughs> I think I'm more like Dovin Ban <laughs> than I am like any other character in the book. Uh, but, uh, which again, I'm not saying is a good thing, I'm just saying it's probably true. Um, and, uh, and Bolas, of course, I mean, it, he's so much to sink your teeth into there. Um, and, uh, but I enjoyed writing. Gideon was a lot of fun, and Jace was fun. Um, Lavinia, I really liked writing. Um, she's so straight and solid and, and stuff. The characters are just so well-defined. And again, I don't want to take credit for that. Um, these characters were handed to me uh, as living, breathing creations by the time I got to it, the exception of Rat and Teo. Um, but uh, there isn't one that I didn't, you know, enjoy sinking my teeth into. So uh, for those of you that are just joining us, Rat is a uh, new character that you created specifically right. for the novel. And, uh, and Teo is uh, one of the main characters of the book, a new planeswalker right. that, uh, that people will be getting to meet for the first time. So that's really cool. Uh, let's talk about some other aspects of the novel. Uh, so I've gotten some questions in here. Is there an audiobook? Yes, there will be an audiobook. Uh, I believe it is available for pre-order right now. It is available for pre-order right now. I've gotten com uh, confirmation about that. Um, there is an audiobook. Uh, let's see if there are any other good questions from Twitch chat. Uh, ah, uh, here's here's something. Here's an interesting thing, thing that somebody asked. Uh, Somebody, somebody said writers should give you a playlist to listen to while reading. Is that something that you do while writing? Do you uh, listen to music while writing ever? Is there, uh, um, is there a I, particular thing that you listen to I while writing this book? I don't listen to music while writing because I'll find, my, I f find myself getting too deep into the music and not writing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, uh, my writing time is largely from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And, wow. And, so it's quiet in my house by that time. Um, and that's, that's usually how I write with uh, that kind of quiet. Um, and uh, the occasional squirrel running across the roof. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm constantly, you know, going to the MTG wiki or, or going to one of the like I said, a couple thousand pages of reference material that uh, Wizards of the Coast sent me. Um, I uh, will, while I was writing the book, I was 
literally nightly emailing questions to Wizards of the Coast, um, you know, which they would receive in the morning and then answer so that by 10 p.m. the next night I had the answers to those questions um, because I wanted to make sure I was getting this stuff right. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't have a playlist that, of stuff that I sort of wrote to because I keep it quiet. Reasonable. I mean, the the besides the punctuating pitter patter of squirrel footsteps, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I hope they're squirrels. Here's a question: uh, With so many characters in a book, how do you keep the story from becoming unfocused? Uh. Well, one is is that uh, the structure of the book is about points of view. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, with each chapter, and again, um, we do have over a hundred characters in there, but they're only <laughs> 11 or 12 leads. Um, and so each chapter has a point of view to it, and that allows that each, that each specific chapter to um, maintain its focus. Um, and then I just, you know, again, it's a war, so it's, there's a real easy through line. Um, there's a point in the book where uh, our heroes sort of say, here are the six things we need to get done uh, if we're to have any chance whatsoever. And so again, that get, it allowed us, me to split the forces up to handle these tasks and, um, and maintain very specific focus for each of these uh, small teams before mm -hmm. they come together at the end for the big final. Um, thing, which is probably more information than I wanted to reveal. Right there. <laughs> we we probably shouldn't. We should probably move on to another question, just to just to stay safe. Uh, let's see what other questions there are. Uh, will the book uh, also be in other languages? That is a great question for uh, Del Rey, and you should tweet at them to ask them uh, what languages the book will be available in. Uh, but I can promise English. Yes, English. It will be available in English. We can say that for 100% for certain. Uh, so people are wondering about specific planeswalkers being in the book. Uh, if you're just joining us, there are 100 characters uh, that are mentioned or at least given some. Yeah, they're not all planeswalkers. Right, but, but there are 100 different characters at least, right. you said, mentioned in the book. Uh, as, we, as we said but earlier. there are a lot of planeswalkers. I mean, yes. A lot of uh, Planeswalkers. <laughs> for those of you that haven't been to Daily MTG and checked out the cool stained glass art that we featured in the War teaser, uh, you should check that out. You can see some of the Planeswalkers that will be on Ravnica for this particular story. Uh, let's see here. Uh, somebody says, I may have missed this, but do you have plans for another book? That's a good question. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> That's a very, very good question. Uh, oh, what was the uh, what was the most challenging character to write for you? That you can that you can talk about, obviously. Um, yeah, you know everyone I'm thinking of bringing up. Uh, I'm not sure I can reveal. I'm not sure I'm allowed to reveal. Uh, Chandra was a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in part because uh, you want to hook up with the comic book series that, that's following it. Mm -hmm. um, so the one person you know survives is yep. Chandra <laughs> because she's the star of the comic book series that's set after the book. Um, uh, so that was a, just, a, just a coordination challenge mm -hmm. to make sure that um, 
where I finish up is is where uh, you know is in a place where the comic can pick up, um, and the timing of the two different projects was such that it um, created some challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like it was hard to write her as a character. It was just a logistical issue, right? Um, and uh, sometimes some of the more minor characters in the book were tough because I hadn't. Um, had the time to spend as much uh, effort researching them. But a lot of characters really popped for me, Angroth and, and others, um, in the stories that I had read elsewhere. And they were just a lot of fun to write. So they weren't, even the minor characters weren't all a challenge. But some of them, I, there's so much lore back there for uh, someone like Nahiri. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, keeping that all straight uh, when they're not the focus of the book, when they're not big players in it, that can be tough sometimes. Uh, I see a lot of questions in Twitch chat about the web fiction. Uh, we will have more to say about what website web fiction is going to look like for war at a later date. So we will we will be able to tell you more about that <laughs> soon, TM. Uh, so yeah, we're also uh, still... If you have questions for Greg, please put them in Twitch chat. I do want to mention that if you are interested in seeing uh, seeing Greg live, if you happen to be at Emerald City Comic Con this weekend, you can check out the panel at Emerald City Comic Con, uh, which we have a graphic for, and we can pull up uh, right here. Uh, and we'll show this again. Emerald City Comic Con panel, uh, storytelling in Magic the Gathering, takes place on Sunday, March 17th, from 1.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. in room WSCC603. Uh, you'll we've, be able to... we've definitely saved some revelations that we're not talking about here for that. Point. Yes, so uh, you'll you'll be able to find out even more than you found out today. Uh, we're saving some really juicy stuff for that panel. Uh, there will be a lot of a lot of special guests there, uh, including Greg and myself, uh, Nick Kelman, uh, and just it's going to be a really fun time. So if you're at Emerald City Comic Con, please be sure to stop by. We'd love to have you. Uh, and uh, oh, we've got more. We've got more questions from Twitch chat. Excellent. Uh, oh, here's here's another thing. People keep asking things that potentially could come up with spoilers. I think trying to get us. So, uh, but I think the the intent of this question is really good. Uh, which character tugged at your heartstrings the most? Uh, there are a number of them. Um, Liliana immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Jason Braska, their relationship in particular, um, their relationship to each other. Um, Rat, definitely. Teo. Uh, um, I, but I think if I had to, you know, if someone held a gun to my head and said, pick one, I would probably be Liliana. Yeah. Uh, how freely were you able to write? Uh, how much was your creation rather than uh, stuff that came before research? Uh, it's a big mix. I mean, yeah. you know, the basic storyline was built to uh, before I got there. And um, uh, and that I want to give full credit to the folks here at, at WOTC. Um, the, the basic story was, was handed to me. Um, how it was executed, um, I was given by both uh, Wizards and Del Rey a tremendous amount of freedom about how to execute it. Um, so the structure of the book is mine. Um, the, 
that idea um, of uh, oh God, I'm just having a senior moment here. <laughs> There's a name I'm trying to pull up, and I'm just absolutely blanking out, and it's humiliating. Um, I do it all the time. Yeah, like I, it's it's crazy. Um, Oh my God! Well, we we can Gardner Fox. Thank there you. There we go. The Gardner Fox structure of the thing, and and some of your audience may not know what that is, but Gardner Fox was a uh, classic comic book writer, uh, created the Golden Age Flash, and um, and frankly created the Silver Age Flash as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he there's a style of storytelling that he used a lot where. Um, whether it was the Justice Society of America or the Justice League or whatever, they'd come together. Um, then there'd be all these minor tasks. Minor is not the right word, but the but ancillary these, tasks. Yeah, yeah, tasks that had to be due. So the te- team would split up um, to deal with these l- smaller submissions and then come together again at the end. And that Gardner Fox thing, that was um, what I felt we needed to do here. Um, a, to make it manageable to tell this story and not just make it 80 people running into a battle all the time. Um, I, I needed to break it up into smaller groups so that we could spend some time with smaller groups of characters and, and see the dynamics between them. And I had tremendous freedom, um, and I'm grateful to Delray and Wizards for giving me that freedom. And then in terms of uh, the characterization, again, I'm working off of uh, all the great work that came before, but um, again, I was given a a lot of freedom about uh, how to play out things with these characters. And then I, again, was given the freedom to create, um, I mean, I was given the visual for Teo, but Mm -hmm. otherwise to pretty much create who he was and uh, and to create Rat from whole cloth. So we're getting a lot of questions about Rat, people really wanting to know more about her. Um, I have you know, to wait for the panel. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go into rat a lot more at the panel, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it sounds like there are also some people uh, looking forward to seeing characters interact that might not uh, might not do so or meet outside of war at all. Were there some some moments in the novel of that as well? Yeah, I mean, you have very strange team ups in there. You've got the Wanderer and Davriel Kane. Um, to sort of complete opposites working together. Um, you've got Obnixilis uh, working with uh, Karn and Dak Faden. Yeah. You've got, I mean, there. this book is about strange bedfellows all over the place on both sides of the conflict. Um, just really unlikely alliances taking place, forced into place sometimes, coerced into place sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, it is a, it's definitely a a series of, I think, pretty fascinating um, complexities and dynamics between characters. Totally. Uh, Are there any elements of comedy in the book? I think so. I hope so. Um, Did you intend for there to be any elements of comedy? Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, uh, humor is. an essential part of telling any story, no matter how tragic. Mm-hmm. It's very much a Joss Whedon mindset, I would say. You know, uh, the tragedy makes the 
humor more necessary, funnier. Um, the humor uh, offsets so that the the tragic stuff that happens catches you more off guard, um, and and it's more poignant. Um, so there's a I think uh, quite a bit of humor in the book. Again, ultimately it's for the reader to judge whether I was successful at it, but the intent was there. Uh, was there was there uh, was there a character that you you felt like could deliver that humor a little bit better than than some others? No, they all do it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I mean, I, I think uh, trying to think if there's a character I didn't use for humor at some point or another, um, nothing is immediately striking me. I mean, again, if Dovin Ban can crack a joke, anybody can crack a joke. <laughs> that's that's very true. He'll, he'd have to he in order to crack the joke though. I'm sure he'd have to fill out like paperwork in triplicate to make sure that the humor was approved and and all of that stuff as well uh let's uh let's see if they there are any more questions coming in uh you guys need to send more questions yeah what are you up to yeah what's going on uh late to the stream what i'd miss you've missed so much person who was late to the stream uh let's see People, people are getting really excited about those uh, those team ups that you mentioned. Those uh, those different team ups were those uh, were those groupings that you were uh, you sort of determined as to where they were going to go for the most part. Yeah. I, um, and yet, I think it's pretty organic. I mean, I I think you know the reason why character X is teamed with character Y isn't just because well I flipped a coin or isn't because well this seems interesting. It's because of necessity. Mm -hmm. in, in each case, there's a reason why this person had to go this direction and this person had to go that direction. And because they're splitting up and in, again into small groups for the center mm -hmm. part of the book, um, it's all about necessity. It's all about um, the characters themselves and their drives and their skill sets and, um, and the need of the situation that's, that's putting these odd, strange bedfellows together. It, it's never... Um, gee, that sounds like it's fun. Um, I hope it turns out that way. Sure. But, but, but I don't think it's artificial. I think it's pretty organic. Did you? Was this one of those times where you wrote down all of the possible planeswalkers on index cards and moved them around? I exactly. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was just here's the task. Who would be who would be an interesting grouping to go accomplish that? Task? Again, not so much interesting as that. What skill set do we need for this, or what person would be highly motivated to do this? specific mm -hmm. thing so that they either they'd be requested to be on that mission because of their skill set mm -hmm. or they push to be on that mission because of their personal desires or both um, and and that plays out throughout I mean uh, a character like Gideon has gonna ha gonna have different priorities than a, obviously than a character like Obnixilis sure and so uh, and different skill sets. So who's doing what in each case is going to play out um, based on their internal dynamics, their dynamics with other characters, and what they are literally physically able to accomplish in a given situation relative to the need of that situation. Uh, we're going to start to wind things down here a little bit. Uh, First, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with a couple of uh, Twitch chat questions. We've got, uh, what is your favorite piece of magic fiction, non-magic fiction? 
So what, fi you, magic, fi so Magic the Gathering fiction. One discrete question: What is your favorite piece of non-Magic the Gathering fiction? We'll say right now because I know it yeah, changes. Yeah, I mean, there's more Magic fiction coming out all the time. Right, uh, and I'm we'll not, say to date. How about yeah, to date? <laughs> and I'm not going to count my novel, um, but uh, I would say my favorite is probably something that I can't talk about today. Oh, um, okay. There's a there's a nice tease for you. But I would say my second favorite there, uh, uh, Nikki did a story set on Ravnica mm -hmm. re fairly recently, not like this last week or anything like that, but in the last few months um, that uh, had to do with Lazab that I just thought knocked my socks off. Yeah. I thought that was really great. But I gotta say, there's a ton of fantastic um, MTG fiction. Um, and in terms of, uh, non-magic stuff, I mean, if you're asking about the stuff that I read myself, I mean, I, uh, you know, I tend to lean toward detective fiction myself, and mm -hmm. I'm, I like, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ross MacDonald um, and John Le Carre, and, uh, um, but I also really love William Faulkner, and I, I just finished well, I've been listening to audiobooks of the complete works of Charles Dickens and Jane Austen. Um, and as most people who know my career know, I'm a tremendously huge Shakespeare fanboy. Yeah. So um, Shakespeare is intrinsic to almost everything I do. In fact, it was really hard not to quote Shakespeare in this book because there were so many incredibly appreciate places. And I accept that Shakespeare never existed on any of these worlds, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually quote him, but I was feeling it. Um, but, you know, when I do Gargoyles especially, but even Young Justice or something like that, or Spectacular Spider-Man, we did entire episodes uh, with Shakespeare, so that's still sort of my bread and butter. So for Magic fans that uh, didn't necessarily know you up until this point, uh, hopefully there weren't that many of them because you've done some really great work. Uh, what are some some of the places that you would send them to uh, find out more about you, see some more of your work, see some stuff that you're really proud of? Well, I mean, the stuff that's out right now, uh, if you subscribe to DC Universe or, uh, or you can go on iTunes, um, we've done uh, three seasons of Young Justice. The first two and a half of those seasons are currently available. I'm really proud of that show. The... Disney television show Gargoyles is, was sort of my first big claim to fame. I've also written two original novels uh, called Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Ash and Foam that I'm extremely proud of. And we also did a, a radio play version of Reign of the Ghosts with a cast of 20 that includes Marina Sirtis, Brent Spiner, Edward Asner, and a number of great animation uh, talents, full musical score, sound effects. It's basically a four-hour movie in your head when you listen to it. And you can get that on Amazon or Audible. Um, and uh, if you want to reach me, I'm available on Twitter at Greg underscore Weissman. And I also have a website, AskGregWeissman.com, where I've been answering questions for about 23 years. Wow. And it's, a, it's got a searchable archive. So 90% of the questions you could even think to ask have been asked already, and you can search for the answer. But if you can't find the answer to your question, 
you can ask it on the site. I'm about a year behind. Because <laughs> I was writing this little book. Yeah, you've been a little busy. A little busy, like. but, um, but I do eventually get to all the questions, and um, there's some guidelines about what kind of questions you can ask, but um, but for the most part, I get to all those questions at askgregweisman.com. So one last question. Uh, favorite Shakespeare play, favorite Shakespeare quote, maybe? Uh, I don't, I think, I think my favorite Shakespeare play, although there are a ton of them that I love dearly, is probably Henry IV, part one. Sure. Um, uh, but, you know, I love Romeo and Juliet. I love King Lear. Um, I love Macbeth so much. Um, I love Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, you know, I won't say the list is endless because there are only... 38 canon plays, but um, <laughs> but still, uh, there's something I l at least like in literally every single one, um, but uh, there are probably at least 15 or 20 that I adore. Um, and uh, uh, the, my favorite Shakespeare quote won't mean anything to anybody. It's just when I was in college, I was in a production of um, Hamlet, and so... So I didn't play Hamlet. Uh, Andre Brower, who's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, wow. played Hamlet. But that's the only role he played. I had five roles. Whoa, okay. So really, who was more important? <laughs> Andre Brower or you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Andre was ama actually amazing in Hamlet as a college student. I mean, just uh, phenomenal. And, and I don't know Andre. I mean, I knew him back then, but I, I haven't seen him since. Um, but uh, I just think he's an, an amazing actor, but he was even when he was 20. Amazing. Um, and uh, so my favorite line is five ducats five, because that's what I said to him. <laughs> well, that's a great, great story. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, we'll put up the graphic one more time about... Uh, about Ravnica War of the Spark, put it up on the screen. Uh, sorry, War of the Spark, Ravnica. Uh, available April 20th. By the way, I mix that up all the time too. Right? Yeah. Half the time <laughs> I say, half the time I say War of the Spark, Ravnica, and half the time I say Ravnica War of the Spark. Uh, I cannot keep it straight. Uh, so again, pre-order uh, the pre-order offer from Del Rey. Uh, you can find out more information about it at bit.ly slash MTG Novel. The capitalization matters. Uh, we'll post the link in the chat right after this. Uh, and then if you are attending Emerald City Comic Con, you can come see us at the Emerald City Comic Con panel, Storytelling in Magic of the Gathering, Sunday, March 17th, 1.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. in room WSCC 603. Greg, you're also on a panel on Saturday at 4.15 if people want to come see you there. And uh, you'll also be doing signings at the Delray booth across the weekend as well. That's true. Excellent. Uh, we are going to go ahead and wrap up our show today. I want to thank Greg Weisman for being here. Thank Thanks you for so having much. Me. Happy to have you. Uh, next week, please tune in for our last show before the Magic the Gathering Mythic Invitational. We're going to have Megan O'Malley from the MTG Arena team to discuss the March update and friend of the show, Marshall Sutcliffe, to discuss a bit of what to expect from the Mythic Invitational competitors. In the meantime, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, everybody out there in Twitch chat, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>